Chapter Twenty Six of Esther Reed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Esther Reed by Pansy. Chapter Twenty Six: Confusion, Crossbearing, Consequence. But the autumn days were not all bright and glowing and glorious. One morning it rained, not a soft, silent, and warm rain but a gusty, windy, turbulent one, a rain that drove into windows ever so slightly raised and hurled itself angrily into your face whenever you ventured to open a door. It was a day in which fires didn't like to burn, but smoldered and sizzled and smoked, and people went around shivering, their shoulders shrugged up under little dingy, unbecoming shawls, and the clouds were low and gray and heavy, and everything and everybody seemed generally out of sorts. Esther was no exception. The toothache had kept her awake during the night, and one cheek was puffy and stiff in the morning, and one tooth still snarled threateningly whenever the slightest whisper of a draft came to it. The high-toned, exalted views of life and duty which had held possession of her during the past few weeks seemed suddenly to have deserted her. In short, her body had gained that mortifying ascendancy over the soul which it will sometimes accomplish, and all her hopes and aims and enthusiasms seemed blotted out. Things in the kitchen were uncomfortable. Maggie had seized on this occasion for having the mumps, and acting upon the advice of her sympathizing mistress, had pinned a hot flannel around her face and gone to bed. The same unselfish counsel had been given to Esther, but she had just grace enough left to refuse to desert the camp, when dinner must be in readiness for twenty-four people in spite of nerves and teeth. Just here, however, the supply failed her, and she worked in ominous gloom. Julia had been pressed into service, and was stoning raisins, or eating them, a close observer would have found it difficult to discover which. She was certainly rasping the nerves of her sister in a variety of those endless ways by which a thoughtless, restless, questioning child can almost distract a troubled brain. Esther endured with what patience she could the ceaseless drafts upon her, and worked at the interminable cookies with commendable zeal. Alfred came with a bang and a whistle, and held open the side door while he talked. In rushed the spiteful wind, and all the teeth in sympathy with the aching one set up an immediate growl. "'Mother, I don't see any. Why, where is mother?' questioned Alfred, and he was answered with an emphatic, "'Shut that door!' "'Well, but,' said Alfred, "'I want mother. I say, Esther, will you give me a cookie?' No, answered Esther with energy. Did you hear me tell you to shut that door this instant? Well, now, don't bite a fellow. And Alfred looked curiously at his sister. Meantime, the door closed with a heavy bang. Mother, say mother, he continued, as his mother emerged from the pantry. I don't see anything of that hammer. I've looked everywhere. Mother, can't I have one of Esther's cookies? I'm awful hungry. Why, I guess so, if you're really suffering. Try again for the hammer, my boy. Don't let the poor little hammer get the better of you. Well, said Alfred, I won't, meaning that it should answer the latter part of the sentence, and seizing the cookie he bowed a triumphant look upon Esther and a loving one upon his mother, and vanished amid a renewal of the whistle and bang. This little scene did not serve to help Esther. She rolled away vigorously at the dough, but felt some way disturbed and outraged, and finally gave vent to her feeling in a peremptory order. Julia, don't eat another raisin. You've made away with about half of them now. 
Julia looked aggrieved. Mother lets me eat raisins when I pick them over for her, was her defense, to which she received no other reply than, Keep your elbows off the table. Then there was silence and industry for some minutes. Presently Julia recovered her composure and commenced with, Say, Esther, what makes you prick little holes all over your biscuits? To make them rise better. Does everything rise better after it is pricked? Sadie was paring apples at the end table and interposed at this point, If you find that to be the case, Julia, you must be very careful after this, or we shall have Esther pricking you when you don't rise in time for breakfast in the morning. Julia suspected that she was being made a dupe of and appealed to her older sister. Honestly, Esther, do you prick them so that they will rise better? Of course, I told you so, didn't I? Well, but why does that help them any? Can't they get up unless you make holes in them? And what is all the reason for it? Now, these were not easy questions to answer, especially to a girl with a toothache, and Esther's answer was not much to the point. Julia, I declare you are enough to distract one. If you ask any more questions, I shall certainly send you upstairs out of the way. Her scientific investigations thus nipped in the bud, Julia returned again to silence and raisins, until the vigorous beating of some eggs roused anew her spirit of inquiry. She leaned eagerly forward with a, Say, Esther, please tell me why the whites all foam and get thick when you stir them, just like the beautiful white soap suds. And she rested her elbow, covered with its blue sleeve, plump into the platter containing the beaten yolks. You must remember Esther's face ache, but even then I regret to say that this disaster culminated in a decided box on the ear for poor Julia, and in her being sent weeping upstairs. Sadie looked up with a wicked laugh in her bright eyes and said demurely, you didn't keep your promise, Esther, and let me live in peace, so I needn't keep mine, and I consider you pretty well out of the spasm which has lasted for so many days. Sadie, I'm really ashamed of you. This was Mrs. Reed's grave, reproving voice, and she added kindly, Esther, poor child, I wish you would wrap your face up in something warm and lie down a while. I am afraid you are suffering a great deal. Poor Esther, it had been a hard day. Late in the afternoon, as she stood at the table and cut the bread and cake and cheese and cold meat for tea, when the sun had made a rift in the clouds and was peeping in for good night, when the throbbing nerves had grown quiet once more, she looked back upon this weary day in shame and pain. How very little her noble resolves and efforts and advances had been worth after all! How far back she seemed to have gone in that one day! not strength enough to bear even the little crosses that befell in an ordinary quiet life. How she had lost the so lately gained influence over Alfred and Julia by a few cross words. How much reason she had given to Sadie to think that her attempts at following the master were, after all, only spasmodic and visionary. But Esther had been to that little clothes-press upstairs in search of help and forgiveness, and now she clearly saw that there was something to do besides mourn over her failures. It was hard to do it, too. Esther's spirit was proud, and it was very humbling to confess herself in the wrong. She hesitated and shrank from the work, until she finally grew ashamed of herself for that, and at last, without turning her head from her work, or giving her resolve time to falter, she called to the twins, who were occupying seats in one of the dining-room windows, and talking low and soberly to each other. Children, come here a moment, will you? The two had been very shy of Esther since the morning's trials, 
and were at the moment sympathizing with each other in a manner uncomplimentary to her. However, they slid down from their perch and slowly answered her call. Esther glanced up as they entered the storeroom, and then went on cutting her cheese, but speaking in low, gentle tones. I want to tell you two how sorry I am that I spoke so crossly and unkindly to you this morning. It was very wrong in me. I thought I never should displease Jesus so again, but I did, you see, and now I am very sorry indeed, and I want you to forgive me. Alfred looked aghast. This was an Esther that he had never seen before, and he didn't know what to say. He wriggled the toes of his boots together, and looked down at them in puzzled wonder. At last he faltered out. I didn't know your cheek ached until mother told me, or else I'd have shut the door right straight. I'd ought to, anyhow, cheek or no cheek. This last in a lower tone, and more looking down at his boots. It was new work for Alfred, this voluntary owning himself in the wrong. Julia burst forth eagerly, and I was very careless and naughty to keep putting my elbows on the table after you had told me not to, and I am ever so sorry that I made you such a lot of trouble. Well then, said Esther, we'll all forgive each other, shall we, and begin over again? And children, I want you to understand that I am trying to please Jesus, and when I fail it is because of my own wicked heart, not because there is any need of it if I tried harder. And I want you to know how anxious I am that you should love this same Jesus now while you are young and get him to help you. Their mother called the children at this moment, and Esther dismissed them each with a kiss. There was a little rustle in the flower room, and Sadie, whom nobody knew was downstairs, emerged therefrom with suspiciously red eyes but a laughing face, and approached her sister. Esther, said she, I'm positively afraid that you are growing into a saint, and I know that I'm a sinner. I consider myself mistaken about this spasm. It is evidently a settled disease. While the bell tolled for evening service, Esther stood in the front doorway and looked doubtfully up and down the damp pavements and muddy streets, and felt of her stiff cheek. How much she seemed to need the rest and help of God's house tonight, and yet... Julia's little hand stole softly into hers. We've been talking about what you said you wanted us to do, Alfred and I have. We've talked about it a good deal lately. We most wish so, too. Ere Esther could reply, other than by an eager grasp of the small hand, Dr. Douglas came out. His horses and carriage were in waiting. Miss Reed, he said, pausing irresolutely with his foot on the carriage step, and finally turning back, I'm going to drive down to church this evening, as I have a call to make afterward. Will you not ride down with me? It is unpleasant walking. Esther's grave face brightened. I am so glad, she answered eagerly. I did want to go to church tonight, and I was afraid it would be imprudent on account of my tooth. Alfred and Julia sat right before them in church, and Esther watched them with a prayerful and yet a sad heart. What right had she to expect an answer to her petitions when her life had been working against them all that day? And yet the blood of Christ was all-powerful, and there was always his righteousness to plead and she bent her head in renewed supplications for these two. And it shall come to pass that before they call I will answer, and while they are yet speaking I will hear. Into one of the breathless stillnesses that come, while beating hearts were waiting for the request that they hoped would be made, broke Julia's low, trembling, yet singularly clear voice. Please pray for me. There was a little choking in Alfred's throat, and a good deal of shuffling done with his boots. 
It was so much more a struggle for the sturdy boy than the gentle little girl, but he stood manfully on his feet at last, and his words, though few, were fraught with as much meaning as any which had been spoken there that evening, for they were distinct and decided. Me too. End of chapter 26 Recording by Tricia G.